Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. You may remember a few weeks ago, y'all remember Enough is Enough? How many of y'all remember that weekend? What a powerful weekend uh, where Jesus did the miracle of uh, multiplying five loaves and two fish, right? And we saw that God isn't looking for us to bring everything. He just wants us to bring all that we have right? And we need to quit calling small what God calls enough. Well, on the back end of this story in John chapter 6, it's actually a very large book or large chapter. It's got 70, what, 71 verses in it. And it takes a turn in about verse 41. In fact, the title, uh, the, the little heading right above verse 41 um, in my New King James Bible says, rejected by his own. You know, typically when you're performing miracles and you're blessing people, you don't expect to get rejected by those people, right? You expect to get accepted and received and welcomed. But over time, they began to recognize that Jesus' ministry was more than just performing miracles and signs and wonders and, and doing all these great things for people, that there was a mission, there was a cause, there was a purpose behind his efforts, And they had to come to the realization that we can't just come into the kingdom for all the things that we want, all the good things that happen, but there are going to be some sacrifices. There are going to be some restrictions. There are going to be um, some things that might challenge the status quo or challenge the way that I live. And again, when we talk about Americanized thinking, you know, that's typically how we think of America. We think about all the things that we want, but we don't think about the sacrifice and we don't think about the things that we have to let go of. Every single one of those individuals pressing to come into this country, pressing to come into America to some degree is going to have to let go of something as well. So when Jesus begins to make this turn in his communication, He begins to say things like, all you want is a sign. All you people want, you're a perverse people, a perverse generation. You're always seeking me to do something for you, but you're not really recognizing the cause and the purpose for which I came. Uh, Pastor Earl said it last week that you don't come into the kingdom as you are. That's, That's an Americanized concept that we can come in and we can bring all of our junk with us. The very first demand of the king and the kingdom is repentance. And the word repentance literally means to change the way I think because I can't change the way I live until I change the way I think. But we have dumbed down repentance to come down, boo-hoo and cry a little bit, say I'm sorry, And then we walk back out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday doing some of the same things we just repented. Well, if we truly repented, we would never go back to it again. And the king is making a demand of this repentance. There's absolutely grace, absolutely mercy. God of all people knows that this is not an overnight deal. But he also doesn't make room or allowance for us to live as we want. He doesn't make room for darkness in light. He doesn't make room for death in life. He came to give you a better way. He came to give you a much higher way. He came to give you everything you really do want, but it will cost you some stuff that you think you want to keep. 
And so he's making this turn. And then uh, just, you know, for the sake of time, here in verse 60, look at what he says. Or look at what it says in verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, who is that? Who are we talking about? His disciples, people that followed it. We're not talking about the world. We're not talking about people that didn't care about anything of God in the first place. We're not talking about people that even just showed up and said, hey, just do a miracle for me, but I don't really want to follow. These were people that to some degree had made themselves a student, a pupil, and a follower of Jesus to follow his example and precept. That's what a disciple is. And that's the word that's used in this verse. It doesn't say many of the crowd. It says, therefore, many of his disciples, those who thought they were committing themselves to Jesus' cause, when they heard this said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? The very next verse, 61, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this. Complained about what? Complained about this tangent he's going on. Literally, the statement that he made that has them in such an uproar is he made this statement. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. Sounds psychotic, doesn't it? Sounds a little like cannibalism. Sounds a little bit like, Jesus, you've lost your marbles. Sounds a lot like, uh, what happened to the guy multiplying bread and, and fish? Can we just eat that? You know, why do we have to eat your flesh and drink your blood? What is he saying? He's saying to really be committed to my cause, there's going to have to be some sacrifice. To really be committed to what I'm about, you're going to have to, he's making a demand. He's making a demand. And so, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, watch this statement, does this offend you? Does this offend you? Do we have that problem in the world today? You notice everything's offensive. All you have to do to be offensive today is disagree. That's all you have to do. All you have to do to offend somebody is have a different view or disagree with what is being said. Offensive, being offended is is so tangible today, is so easily accessible today. There are more people that walk offended than not walk offended today. Offended about something. And if that weren't bad enough, To create divisiveness, the world first creates offensiveness. Because until I get you offended, I can't divide, I can't separate. So where there is offensiveness, there's always division. There's always separation. That's what offense does. When you become offended at someone or about something, you find yourself on opposite sides. There's no agreement. There's no agreement where there's offense. And so Jesus asked the question, does this offend you? And we live in a world today where we highlight our disagreements more than our agreements. We highlight, we could disagree on one thing, agree on nine, 
and we will separate over the one thing. As long as I've been in this community for going on 10 years, I've been a part of a network, a ministry network here in this town, Christian Leaders and Ministers Network. It's a network designed to engage both ministry leaders and business leaders in our community in the effort to bring Jesus to this community through our, I mean, these are prominent leaders that God has raised up in Valdosta. And I have the privilege of, 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 of serving uh, now on, on the board with these individuals, uh, have an awesome op- opportunity on, on a monthly basis uh, to gather together, we pray, uh, we build each other up, we fellowship, um, just an, an, an awesome network to be a part of. Uh, pa- Pastor Chris here, we serve together with that, and and I, I've been doing it almost from day one. I was probably two or three months into moving here, and um, somebody invited me, it might have been Pastor Chris invited me to come to one of the initial uh, network gatherings because I was new to town and be a great way to meet other pastors, other ministers, other leaders. And it's, it's provided great benefit to my life. I'm honored to be a part of it. But for 10 years, the conversation of the Holy Spirit always comes back to the surface. After 10 years, it never, why? Because we have denominational churches in our community, and we have non-denominational churches in our community. Now, our board is made up of seven people, and out of seven, I think there's two that are denominational. So, in in an area in South Georgia, y'all doing okay? I have no problem talking about this. In South Georgia, in our area, is predominantly denominational. Okay? I'm the minority. Our church is the the minority in the sense of what we preach and what we believe and where we stand theologically and doctrinally and, and all those things for this area. There's a lot of Methodist churches, there's a lot of Baptist churches, uh there there and and you know, and then every format of those. I don't know, Presbyterian and Episcopal and and whatever else, but predominantly Baptist and Methodist, they're everywhere. Some of them share parking lots, it seems like. They're so close to each other. And so we have to constantly fight this perception in our community that we are a spirit-filled network. Well, actually, our heart is to unify all of us in a way that we can. And we're not trying to push anything that we believe on. We're trying to boldly declare Jesus. We're trying to get Jesus followers and kingdom citizens and Christians together in the room that are leaders that have major spheres of influences in this community in one room where we can build each other up, encourage one another, pray over one another, pray over our community, ask the Lord's hand to be upon Valdosta, and then you know, periodically put it, put together events like National Day of Prayer or Sunrise Service and Easter Sunrise Service and different things like this that will bless our community. We partner with, with uh, outreach organizations in our community like Options Now, 
called to care, uh, uh, you know, other different opportunities where our ministry can be a blessing to them. Our network can be a blessing to them. We're not there for money. We're not there to make a profit. We're not there to, to do anything but boldly declare Jesus in Valdosta. But every time, and just this past Tuesday, Pastor Chris was out of town, but just this past Tuesday we had another meeting, and I guess in the last gathering, which I was not at, took place at Mama June's, who likes some Mama June's. See, I just made the, the, the golden mistake of mentioning food in the sermon. You don't do that. Now you're all hungry, thinking about the barbecue this afternoon. Apparently there were some individuals that were Praying in tongues in the gathering. Uh-oh. Loud enough where people could hear. And so then we gather. What are we going to allow? And, is, you know, what do we do about this? And we, we're trying to go against this perception that, that we're a spirit-filled network and only spirit-filled people can. It's just silliness. It's just silliness. Rather than all the things we agree about, all the things that we're trying to push and all the agendas and, all, and what we're really about, presenting Jesus to this community, all the things that are really, we get lost in the fact that somebody spoke in an unknown tongue. And sure, all of us spirit-filled people, we can say, what's the big deal? What's the problem? But there are literally individuals in that room that say, I'm not going to have any part of this. They will highlight the disagreement over one thing rather than look at the, all the other things we align on, we agree on, we come together on. Great things. This has got to stop. This is the mentality that destroys kingdom living in kingdom thinking. And if we're not careful, American thinking will destroy kingdom living. I'm not coming against America. I've already said my piece about America. I've already said my piece about this great country. Now I'm going to talk to you about the kingdom of God and how you and I as citizens of the kingdom of God, Jesus brought some offensive messages. Now let me tell you something. Offensive messages are actually needed in the kingdom of God. His offensive preaching did two things. Number one, it strengthened and challenged their faith. It strengthened and challenged their faith. And number two, it disrupted sin. Jesus' offensive words strengthened and challenged their faith. Nothing is strengthened until it's challenged. Nothing is changed until it is challenged. What you do not challenge will not change. Nothing grows in mediocrity. Nothing grows in comfort. Nothing grows in the, in the bed of convenience. Nothing grows, multiplies, gets better, gets stronger where it is not challenged and confronted and made you to think about why you live, think, do, behave, act the way we do. Until you challenge it, it will not be changed. And Jesus came as a disruptor. 
Jesus did not come. We call him the Prince of Peace. The Bible calls him the Prince of Peace. But I'm telling you right now, Jesus also said, I bring a message that will divide. I bring a sword that will split in two. And you'll find yourself on one side or the other. And Jesus wasn't preaching offensively to offend people and to make people stumble. That's different. He was preaching offensively. He was being offensive to their flesh. And in the church, we have gotten afraid to offend people's flesh, to offend their sinful lifestyle, their sinful thinking. And since we won't challenge it, we won't change it. Jesus said, I'm not going to have friends at the expense of having transformed lives. I'm not going to compromise my purpose at the expense of making you feel good, telling you what you want to hear. No, there's going to be some things that I say that will challenge you to the core. There will be some things that I bring that will disrupt the way that you're living because my way of living and my kingdom and my mission can't tolerate that. But when we get in this mode in the kingdom of God that there's this acceptance side and this tolerance side, you know, there, there's a, a, a thing that we can do today called unfollow, right? Anybody ever unfollowed someone? I'm not going to ask you why you unfollowed them. Maybe they didn't respond to your post the way you wanted. Maybe they didn't comment right. Maybe they didn't, they didn't like it. Maybe you got tired of seeing their stuff right? That we, we, we have the right to unfollow. And Jesus is basically saying, you gonna un, are you, are you unfollowing me because of what I said? You're going to cut me off because of something that I said? You're going to... So, have to recognize that he was disrupting and challenging. This is what we have to understand, is that The kingdom of God has standards. We've talked about this before. The kingdom of God has standards. And you cannot have high values with low standards. You cannot have high values with low standards. Every time you lower the standard to something, you inherently lower the value for it as well. Every time I bring the standard down, along with that, I'm lowering the value of it as well. And Jesus is saying, I cannot step back from the standard that I have set. I will not lower the standard for you. I will cause you to rise up to the standard of the kingdom of God. I will challenge you by disrupting sin and challenging and strengthening your faith to rise up to where I'm at because I know the potential that's in you. I know you have the ability to come up to this level. I know you have. But see, we don't allow people to rise in their standards because we lower them down to where they're at. And then we wonder why they're not meeting the value, why they aren't living to a certain standard because we've lowered it. This is what I know, too. When you lower a standard, it's hard to get it back. I mean, you can lower a standard in a split second. It takes years to get that back. 
You don't just flip a switch and say, okay, this is the new standard. We're going up to here. No, it takes time. It takes disruption. And honestly, most people just won't make it. They'll just choose to live. You know, one thing that I think is a, such a sad repercussion from the events of last year is so many companies lowered their standards. Anybody notice that the standard of service has lowered? That's incredible. It's incredible. Some places where you went and you expected a high standard of service, it's been lowered. Companies almost can do as they please, and they can just blame it on COVID or blame it on a pandemic or blame it on fear or blame it on the safety of people. We've got all these excuses for living below a standard that we know is acceptable. And now to get back to that, sure, we took some heat last year when we reopened, you know, quickly in May. I know churches that didn't close at all. We we opened quickly in May, but I'm telling you right now, the churches that trickled and took their time in reopening, they're struggling to get open today, 14 months later, struggling to reopen. And it's not because they don't want to. It's because they allowed and accept a, 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 they accepted a lower standard over a period of time, and now just to get people back in the building because they accepted a standard of watching it online. To get people to serve because they accepted a standard that I don't need to serve to have church. To get people in in, in a position, the longer longer that they sat out, the longer and the more work they're going to have to get it back. And they may not even achieve back to what they were. In fact, many of them may just choose to do it that way from now on. I know uh, in the Assemblies of God denomination, this came from an Assemblies of God pastor right here in this community. He was told by their head, you know, Assemblies of God director in the state of Georgia, over 140 churches closed their doors last year to never reopen again. They just said, you know what? It ain't worth it. We'll just close it all together. Many of them were probably just looking for an out in the first place. Because the statistics of pastors that are wore out and don't even want to be in ministry anymore but are doing it out of obligation because they don't know what else to do because they haven't developed other trades or they don't know, they 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 feel the weight of the ministry, that was their out. I'm going to take it. Others can't get the doors back open for whatever reasons. What am I talking about? I'm talking about standards. And when you lower the standard, you lower the value. And Jesus is saying, No, the standard's been set. And this might challenge you. This might disrupt you. This might might be offensive to you. But this is the standard. The value that you have is revealed by the standard that you keep. The value that you have is revealed by the standard that you keep. In verse 62, what then? If you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before. In essence, this is what he's saying. What's it going to take for you to believe? What's it going to take for you to come up? To physically see me rise and sit on the throne? Because he was even making statements like, you know, before Abraham was, I am. 
I mean, he was making so many, it's almost like he was trying to get on their nerves. You ever been around someone that was trying to push your buttons, trying to do the, the things that they knew would get under your skin? It's almost like he was pulling out all the stops here in John chapter 6 in these 71 verses, and he's like, we're going to find out who's with me and who's not right here. I'm going to push them all to their limits, and we're going to see what sticks. And he's making some bold, brash statements. Because they're refuting that he's the son of God. They're refusing that he is God in the flesh. They're refusing, they're refuting that he's this Messiah that they've been believing for and has been prophesied all this time. He's refuting, he's challenging everything that these religious people thought they knew about God and about his ways and about the Messiah that was coming. He's challenging all of it. So he says, what's it going to take? For you to see the Son of Man descend, if, I, if you literally see me in heaven sitting at the right hand of the is that, then would you believe? Well, watch what he says in verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. In essence, this is what he's saying. If I said it, that's just as if I did it. That's what he's saying. He said, the flesh profits nothing. The fact that I said I am who I am and I will return to where I said I'll return and I will come back when I said I'll come back and I'll do the, just because I said it, you need to believe in that. If you think you'll believe in me because I do it, you're sadly mistaken. You believe in Jesus for what he says, not for what he does. He's saying to physically see it, tangibly see it, that's not going to get you over. That's not going to win you over. You choose right now in your heart, do you side with my mission? Do you side with my party? Do you side with my, with my cause? You choose right now. And if this offends you just by what I'm saying, it'll be even more offensive when I actually do it. We always think that if, if he does this, then I'd believe. No, you believe him at his word. Because he said, it's the spirit that gives life. It's not what you see tangibly that produces life. It's what you believe even, the, even before you see it. His words are just as vital as his actions. And in verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus from the beginning knew who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, see, it's one thing to not to have people that choose not to follow you. It's another to have people choose to follow you, then leave. And Jesus experienced both. He, re, he experienced rejection from the get-go. We don't want anything to do with this. We don't believe in you. We don't believe in who you are. We're not even talking about the religious crowd. We're talking about those that called themselves disciples and now are saying, whoa, this is too much. This is, this, this, that's not going to work for us. He was betrayed. He had people choose to come alongside and follow him and then say, no, we're not going any further. And he said in verse 65, therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. In essence, Jesus is saying this. 
I don't have to just accept anything and everything. I know that goes against the American Jesus that we love to celebrate. The acceptance and the tolerance and the allowance. But what is he saying? He's saying there's a standard. There's a standard that must be met. There's a standard that must be kept. Jesus did not die on a cross and endure what he did for us to accept whatever version of him we please. He did not go through what he went through to leave it up to us to decide who he is and what he can do and what he's given us and who we are and who is conquered and who's not conquered. No, he came to set the standard and he gave up his life for that standard. He sacrificed all for that standard. He even to the point of looking his own disciples in the face and saying, are you going to go too? Because the standard is that important. The purpose is that real. The purpose is that vital. And Jesus did not die so we could live to whatever version of Jesus we want to. We're we're done with the versions of Jesus. We're going to accept the Jesus that is in the word of God. We're going to accept the Jesus that died on the cross for our sins, but also made a way for you to live in the kingdom life now, today, and forevermore to rule and reign with him seated at the right hand of the Father right now, giving you authority and power in the earth right now. And I'm not going to read the Bible and dumb it down to where I am in the own, to the standard I feel I can keep. I'm going to challenge myself from the inside out to rise to the standard that he has set. Because my standard pales in comparison to his standard. Why would I want to live below what Jesus has made available to me? Why would I want to live opposed and against what he has already offered me? Why would I want to do that? In the name of acceptance. In the name of allowance. If he said, these works that I do, you will do, and even that I'm going to take him at his word at face value and say, Jesus, if it's in your word and you said I could do it, then I, and I'm not going to look at my experience. I'm not going to listen to pastor so-and-so. Grandma doesn't have a louder voice than the word. I'm going with what the word says. I'm going to rise to your standard. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, therefore, go, lay hands on the sick, and you'll see them recover. Cast out demons. This is the lifestyle he's called us to. This is the standard that he set. And he's like, if it challenges you, if it disrupts your way of living, your way of thinking, your way of believing, then so be it. I mean, he's not even apologizing. You don't even find the words, I'm sorry. I'm sorry this offends you. He's like, I'm not. I'm glad it offends you. I'm glad it challenges you. I'm glad it gets you to think outside the box. I'm glad it shows you a way of living that's higher and greater than what you are living to and accepting right now. I've got a better way for you. Verse 66. From that time, 
many of his, there it is again, disciples, went back and walked with him no more. I know we call Jesus the greatest leader of all, right? I know we call Jesus this great shepherd that all these people followed, but they don't put that in the leadership book. When your leadership is so great that it actually turns people away. (laughs) They didn't teach that in leadership class. They're not doing leadership conferences on how to turn away congregations and assemblies and followers. But that's what just happened. From that time on, from that time on, what's he doing? He's challenging the status quo. He's challenging the way we live. He's disrupting offensively. I, 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 I don't apologize for offending your flesh. Some of you in this room, I've looked you right in the eye and told you you were straight wrong and you need to get it, back, get it right on multiple occasions. Why? Because I'm going to stand before this one. And he's going to say, you remember when I had that conversation with my disciples and there was no friendship? There was no obligation to to leave them on the team because they had been with me for so long and they had gone through so much with me. So, you know, go ahead and leave them in there. No. I brought up something that disrupted who they were and where they were and what they believed, and it was on them to change. I was not lowering the standard to them. They were going to come up to mine, or they were going to walk away and say, you know what, that's too much for me. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. They unfollowed him. They hit the unfollow button. I don't want any part of this. Free to go, Jesus said. Then Jesus said to the 12, look at this. Do you also want to go away? He turns to the ones that are left. And he doesn't say, please please don't go. He doesn't look at them and say, you know, I, I, I know this might not seem like a good time, and I know it seems like there's a lot going on, but man, just, just stick with me. I promise that it'll work out in the end. No, what does he say? You gonna go too? You gonna unfollow too? You gonna walk away too? You gonna abandon too? This is saying, I'm not changing anything else. Now it's on you. Those 12. That he handpicked. Those 12, he's looking at him and saying, you going to accept what I'm saying? Or are you going to hit the road too? Look at Peter's response. Simon Peter, he answered him. Watch this. Lord, to whom shall we go? Now, typically, when we leave something, We only think about what we're walking away from. (laughs) But this is the thing. When you make a decision to walk away from Jesus, 
you're also making a decision to walk toward something else. You're not just leaving Jesus. You're not just leaving the church. You're not just walking away from his plan and his purpose. You are walking toward what the enemy wants. You are walking toward what he has destined for you. And we know the verse, Jeremiah eleven twenty nine. 29, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. But let me tell you, there's someone else that's got plans for you. Satan, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He's got a plan. And when you walk away from God's, you are inherently walking towards his. And it's a, it's a destructive life. It's a destructive way of life. And Jesus doesn't use that as a threat. He doesn't say, if you walk away from me, then you're just going to. He's just saying, you want to come to me for all the blessing, for all the good, for all the promises, for all the destiny, for all the plans. I've got such great things for you. I don't need to threaten you with what the devil might do because my promises of what I can do and will do in your life ought to be good enough to draw. It's the goodness of the Lord that draws men to repentance, not the evil of Satan to where I'm having to pick the you know one over the other his goodness is so good i don't even have to consider what the enemy has but at the end of the day to walk away from god's plan is to walk straight towards the enemies there's no other way around it and peter says there ain't nowhere else we can get what we're getting right here to whom shall we go He says, you have the, watch this, words of eternal life. Notice where Peter put the value. He's not saying, you know, Jesus, we love hanging out with you because even when there's no food, you find a way to multiply it. And when the storms come that kill us in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, you calm them and stop them. And you healed my mother-in-law, and you did this, and you did that, and all these signs. And So, I mean, you know, it's worth it following you. Because No, he just simply says, we're going to follow you because you have words that produce life in us, and we can't get that anywhere else. See, your motivation for following Jesus is just as important as following Jesus. Why are you following him? What is it that you are receiving? What are you getting? What is he providing you? What is the benefit that the Lord is producing in your life that says, there's nothing else on this planet I would consider going after because this is what I would be abandoning if I chose to do so. And I'm gonna stay with God. I'm gonna stay with his word. I'm gonna stay with his plan. I'm gonna stay with his purpose because I can have his destiny rather than the enemy's destruction. To whom shall we go? Tommy, if you go ahead and come on up. Go with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And it may not just be you know, sin or a way of believing or a lifestyle. We are coming up on days now where we've read about it and heard about it. But even in America, having our Christian ideologies, our Christian beliefs, our Christian standards being provoked and challenged and questioned 
and even restricted. I mean, Brian Houston, pastor of Hillsong Church in Australia, said that they have now got a new mandate, a new restriction that they cannot sing out loud in their services. They can't sing out loud in their services. And if they're caught on camera, there'll be some kind of, he posted this. And there's countries right now that are, are starting shutdowns again, lockdowns again. 15 days to curb the spread. It's going to turn into 30. It's going to turn into three months. It's going to turn into six months. And on top of that, the fear and the mentality and the thinking that it, per, it promotes and it puts in your brain, it's long-lasting. I heard a minister the other day talking about it, and, and he said, you know, all these all, all these." Pastors and ministers, he's urging them and encouraging them, do not close your doors. Do not do it. He said, yeah, we all quote Romans 13. Romans 13, where we're supposed to honor our government officials and leaders. And we use that as an excuse to curtail and to cower down when we recognize that there are religious uh, 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 restrictions that are being put in place to limit the activity that the church of the living God is doing and promoting. You know, Romans 13, who wrote that book? Paul wrote Romans 13. Why was he always in jail? Why is he always in prison if he's writing and telling us that as Christians we're supposed to do whatever we're told to do by our government officials? He sure found himself in trouble an awful lot. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about praying for your leaders regardless. But at some point, we're going to have to stand and raise the standard. At some point, we're going to have to choose where the line in the sand is drawn. And for a world that's constantly moving that line further and further out, somebody's got to stand and say, this is the line. My king set the line. I don't even have an opinion on the matter. It doesn't matter what I think. People will ask me that. Pastor, what do you think? I don't think nothing. I can tell you what my king thinks. I can tell you what my king says. And then I agree with that. I don't have an opinion on the matter. That's one thing you lose when you come into the kingdom of God is your opinion. No, I'm going to go with what God says. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled or brought you back in. You once were afar off in the body of his flesh through death to present you, here it is, holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. That's how he wants to present you. But look at verse 23. If, everyone say if. That's the qualifier. If indeed you continue. Notice that Jesus is more interested in your holiness than he is in your happiness. That doesn't mean that the the Christian life is a miserable way to live. 
I had to encourage our students, you know, because when we're at youth camp, we're trying to help them understand that, look, these, these temptations and these lusts and these things that are out to get you right now, you don't want any part of that. And you're going to have to make some sacrifice. You're going to have to choose to cut off some friends, cut off some streams of, of, you know, internet activity, cut off doing things that everybody else is doing, choosing not to do this and not to. And so it can sound like, well, man, this Christian life is a ridiculous life. There's nothing fun about it. This should just be miserable until Jesus comes. And so I had to give them the flip side. Man, following God is the greatest thing on the face of the planet. There is nothing I regret in my life when I chose to go after God. There's plenty of things I regret that I did in the world. There's plenty of things I'm like, man, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. shouldn't have gone there. shouldn't have looked at that. But there's nothing in God that's like, man, I really wish I didn't go to church that weekend. I've never regretted one thing I've done for God. Never have, never will. It's the greatest life on the face of the planet. Did it come with some sacrifice? Absolutely. Are there people that are not in my life today that I wish were in my life that I was very close to at one point, but I had to recognize we were going separate tangents and there was no way that I could maintain that and what God wants and one of them had to get cut? Absolutely. But I do not regret following the plan of God for my life. And I never will. But he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Look at this in verse 21 in the Passion Translation. Even though you were once distant from him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, he, recre- he reconnected you back to himself. He released his supernatural peace do- to you through the sacrifice of his own body as the sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in his presence. And now there is nothing between you and the Father God, for he sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. In essence, this is, what's, this is what Paul's saying. If you were once afar off and you've been brought near now, why would you want to walk back? Why would you want to do as these disciples did? They were afar off. They were brought close to Jesus' mission, Jesus' cause, Jesus' heart. And because something disrupted and challenged their way of thinking or living. He said, no, I'm going back. I'm going back. He's saying, why would you do that? Why would you make that choice? When he made the sacrifice. See, Jesus doesn't, we don't get to believe in a Jesus that only aligns with what we think and accepts everything we do because he's got so much greater. If you knew the greatness that he has for you, you would never walk back. You would never ask Jesus to lower the standard. You would never ask Jesus, what can I get away with? What can I be a Christian and still do? You wouldn't ask those silly questions. You'd be asking like the disciples, what do I need to give up? What else do I need to lay down? Verse 23, the passion, if indeed you continue to advance in faith, assured 
of a firm foundation to grow upon. Never be shaken from the hope of the gospel you have believed in. You are so steadfast in this gospel. You are so remained and grounded that nothing can move you. Nothing in the world can move you and nothing that God would ask of you could move you. You would respond with, God, if you say that I need to lay it down, let it go. Become this, become that. It's worth it. Your mission, your purpose, and your heart, it's worth it. Your cause, your plan for my life, your destiny. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.